Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that keeps you informed about what's actually going on as opposed to what the corporate-controlled mainstream media says. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome back, E. Mike. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be back. Great to have you back. Okay, well, what, what's our theme for this week? Uh, we uh, we have some PSAs, uh, of course, the obligatory disclaimers. If you can't stand asking questions about hard subjects, then change the channel. What's our next disclaimer? Um, oh, yeah, we're very, very disturbing. If you have a, a weak heart or uh, a weak mind or uh, otherwise are afraid of asking these hard questions, you may be very disturbed. It could even be hazardous to your health to watch this show. So don't do it. And don't take any medical uh, advice from us. Don't let us tell you to stick needles into you or to not stick needles into yourself. That's your decision. And talk to your doctor or uh, whoever you trust, your priest, your imam, uh, your rabbi, but certainly not us. Okay, enough disclaimers. What's next here? Yeah, this is our, our theme for this week. Uh, mass shootings uh, helps false flag weekly news resist mass shootings. Not just mass shootings, but mandatory mass shootings. Mass shootings are bad enough, but mandatory mass shootings in which millions of people are required to be shot as a condition of their employment or in order to be allowed to use public amenities are downright, shall we say, un-American or are they all too American? Well, Mike, I, I assume that like me, you intend to hold out and refuse to volunteer to be the victim of a mandatory mass shooting. Right. I, I am. I am not going to. I am resisting. I will not get the, the, the vax. Okay. I think what we're seeing here is a, a political crisis is evolving. Uh, after Biden mandated uh, this draconian vax uh, uh, mandate, uh, there's pushback. 28 governors said they're not going to uh, enforce it. And I think on a local level, the resistance is even wider. So it's going to come down to uh, local government. <clears throat> the After World War II, the federal government expanded beyond all uh, prescription uh, involving the American Constitution. And now the tide is heading in the opposite direction. That's what we're going to see now, resistance on a local level. And speaking of resistance on a local level, how about... Kat McGuire, our false flag weekly news colleague, who's organizing the New York City franchise of the Worldwide Rally for Freedom, which will be beginning just about at the time that this show ends today, in about one hour or maybe two, I don't know, early afternoon anyway in New York City and at various times in the other 180 cities all over the world where people are uh, resisting these mandatory mass shootings. Uh, and, you know, I mean, if we don't resist now, Mike, you know, how how hot are they going to turn up the temperature to boil the frog? I mean, where are they going to go next? Like, you know, in cities in, like San Francisco, where I just spent five days in, in New York, where there's a severe shortage of public restrooms, are the authorities going to make sure that only vaccinated people are allowed to go to the bathroom and unvaccinated people are just going to have to hold it until they explode? I mean, that is toilet torture under the Geneva Convention. But Biden and his mains don't seem to care about the Geneva Convention. So if we don't resist now, we could end up in suffering severe discomfort in the future. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. You've pointed out the absurdity of this uh, mandatory uh, uh, vaccination campaign. Uh, and uh, the, the, crucial, the crucial link in this uh, is going to be police forces local police forces. Do the local police forces represent the people uh, 
of that of their locality, or are they been taken over by the oligarchs? Uh, my sense is that uh, local police forces still represent the local people. I think that's the situation. I've been in Michigan, which has a draconian lockdown. I was in Hillsdale County, and uh, the sheriff announced that that was not going to be mandated there, and so there was resistance. This is uh, this is where where it's going to happen. It's going to the police union in uh, Chicago has announced that they are not going to get vaccinated. They're not going to allow their people to be forced to be vaccinated, and I think you'll see police unions across the country stepping up and saying, number one, we will not be vaccinated. And number two, we will not force other people to be vaccinated. All right. Well, protect and serve is supposed to be their motto. And so maybe we can uh, prevent the problem of police shootings of uh, experimental gene therapy before that problem even begins. Well, there was a really good article published this week on LifeSite News that is a comprehensive guide to resisting the mandates. Now, I want to be clear, Mike, I'm not telling other people what to do here. Uh, our own producer here at False Flag Weekly News, Alan, is uh, fully vaccinated. He's glad that he is. And that's his decision. And I'm not going to go and hold a gun to his head and tell him to uh, somehow devaccinate himself. <laughs> so, uh, however, we would like the same courtesy from the other side. And here's a great article that gives you a list of things you can do and sites uh, for finding uh, forms for religious and medical exemptions. And you know, Mike, it occurs to me that this crackdown and, and this uh, push for mandates could actually have the unintended consequence of sparking a return to religion. You know, when people face the possibility of losing their livelihoods, you know, they're going to have to ask God for guidance. And right. God's going to tell them, take the religious exemption. Now, seriously, <laughs> in a crisis, people start facing ultimate questions. You know, there are no atheists in foxholes. Right. So, yeah, once again, uh, the irony of the way history works out, you know, is on display. And, of course, you're the expert on that. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, let's take uh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern made a career as a uh, foul mouth guy on the uh, went on to a satellite radio because he couldn't say that type of stuff on uh, TV, uh, radio TV. He has now come out against the vax people who refuse to get vaccinated. Well, wait a minute. I thought you believed in freedom of speech, Howard. Well, it turns out he doesn't. Okay. So wh what is, what is the, let's, let's get down to the basic argument here. Howard Stern is saying he is at risk. He's vaccinated. He's fully vaccinated. He's at risk from people who are not vaccinated. Well, wait a minute. First of all, if you're vaccinated, why are you at risk? I, I got a smallpox vaccination as, a, as an infant. That meant I didn't get smallpox. Now you've got a vaccination that doesn't prevent you from getting the disease you're being vaccinated against. If that's the case, why should I get vaccinated? First of all, I shouldn't be a threat to you. Secondly, if it really doesn't work, why, are, why should I get vaccinated? Now, if you can explain some flaw in this logic, please do it right away. Well, of course, the uh, the, the um, uh, devil's uh, response to that, of course, would be something like, well, nothing, no vaccines are ever 100% perfect, but we're just trying to turn down the spread, dial it down. And so anything that slows the spread would be good. And if you force everybody to get vaccinated, you've slowed the spread enough that lots and lots of lives would be saved. That would be the response. However, uh, I think the devil's advocate might be wrong in this case. We're going to go over some of the science that shows that it doesn't really look like, uh, at least after a few months, but maybe even from the beginning, it doesn't look like the vaccines are actually really slowing the spread. 
they're masking symptoms and indeed and perhaps saving lives, but you may actually be in as much or more danger of catching COVID from vaccinated people than from unvaccinated ones. There are some studies that suggest that. We'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But uh, meantime, this article does show the options for avoiding employer or university mandated vaccines, such as getting a medical exemption, obtaining a religious exemption, or asking for accommodation like working from home or, or suing. And ultimately they say the thing to do is to clog the system. Do not submit and don't quit. Just at the last possible moment, say, look, I'm religiously exempt. So by kind of slowing down the process, uh, you can actually help other people as well as yourself. And it's interesting, Mike, there's some Catholic resources here that you might know about. The Confraternity of Our Lady of Fatima has a whole uh, package of, of religious exemption material out there. There's a bishop named Athanasius Schneider, or Athans, Athanasius Schneider, who uh, has written a letter about this. So uh, do you know about the specific uh, Catholic material on vaccines? Yes, uh, the, yeah. Catholic, the Catholic material is in general a complete disaster, a complete train wreck. The Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church has basically relied on theologians, and the theologians begin with a premise which says, this is a vaccine, okay? This is not a vaccine, okay? So you've got a faulty premise that led to a faulty conclusion, and now it's virtually impossible for Catholics to get a religious exemption because everyone will quote someone saying that the Pope says you have a religious duty to get an exemption. So sorry about that, but uh, sorry well, about that, fellow Catholics. It's not going to work. Well, in that case, everybody better convert to Islam. <laughs> we have actually some some very as far solid as arguments. I, as far as I know, you do not have to be a Catholic to qualify as a religious person in the United States of America. And you don't have to prove your Catholic bona fides. You can be any religious group and say, I have a religious, uh, a religious right. And then if you say, I am a Catholic, uh, then you put the people in the bind of saying, well, we, this is a theological debate and there is a difference of opinion here. So you can't enforce a mandate when there's a difference of opinion. You could take that route. That's right. Well, my family and I have been taking exemptions from all vaccines since the mid-1990s uh, on a religious basis. We are Muslims, and we have our arguments about that. And uh, we won't get into the theology and the Quranic scripture and all of that, but take it from me, there is a very strong argument from uh, the Islamic perspective, and I'm sure there are similar arguments from other religious perspectives as well, regardless of what the uh, highest bureaucrats in the Catholic Church may think. Um, so, Moving on to uh, more uh, mandate stories and vaccine-related stories that are too hot for YouTube. Remember, I hope I hope our producer, Alan, hasn't turned on the YouTube broadcast yet, because if he did, we all just got deplatformed. <laughs> In Detroit, WXYZ-TV uh, put up a post on Facebook asking their viewers to tell them horror stories about these fools who didn't get vaccinated and suffered hideous deaths. But instead, they got 39,000 vaccination horror stories, people dying from the vaccination, having hideous side effects, being permanently crippled, and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, maybe Facebook is messing with our minds here. Maybe this is all BS, but I kind of don't think so. I think there actually are a lot more stories of vaccine problems than meet the eye in the mainstream media. I, I think this, the, the story is now pretty clear. It's really come into focus. And I think what happened is that in December, uh, the world pretty much reached uh, herd immunity. And so the cases dropped off dramatically. 
At that point, however, the vaccines started to be administrated, uh, administered to people. And at that point, the cases of what? Something started to rise. So wait a minute. We can't say it's the vaccine that's causing the problem, even though that is the real cause of the problem. So we invented the Delta variant. So it's another variant. Damn it. We missed that variant. We'll have to go back. And so you have to get a, a fully vaccinated to deal with the Delta variant, even though we're telling you that the vaccine is really not going to prevent you from getting anything. And because the Delta variant is only the first of a long line, maybe the Mu variant is right around the corner. So everything, all of the vaccine injuries that took place after December have all been attributed to COVID itself or a variant of COVID as a way of justifying more and more vaccine shots. And of these 39,000 horror stories uh, about bad effects from vaccines, you know, so occasionally one of them does uh, start to leak into the mainstream somewhere, but then it gets deplatformed. That happened to this poor guy, uh, Ernest Ramirez, whose son Ernesto Jr was only 16 when he took his first dose of Pfizer on April 19th, and then he died of a grossly enlarged heart on April 24th. So clearly there are a fairly you know, large number of people, an enormous number compared to previous vaccination campaigns who are actually dying from this. And it raises the question of the medical ethic of do no harm. Is it okay, let's say the vaccines actually do work, and I, I think they do for at least several months, or at least maybe two or three months, but um, assuming, even assuming they, they do work, that is, they prevent the people who get vaccinated from uh, dying of COVID or having very serious complications from COVID, or they, they lower the level from one in 200 to one in 2000, is really the accurate way of describing it. Even if that's true, you know, Dostoevsky challenged us um, in the Brothers Karamazov, is it okay to force horrible suffering on one person to save a whole bunch more people? And the answer that Alyosha, the hero of Brothers Karamazov, gave him is, is no. Um, you know, here's, here's the quote. Uh, Imagine that you're creating a fabric of human destiny with the object of making men happy in the end, giving them peace and rest at last. Imagine you're doing this, but that it is essential and inevitable to torture to death only one tiny creature, that child beating its breast with its fist, for instance. Would you consent to be the architect on those conditions? And Alyosha says no. So should we allow this poor guy to lose his only son horribly uh, in order to save a whole bunch of people. There is a, you know, that if, if you're the grand inquisitor, uh, you know, the secular materialist or atheist who wants to simply do the greatest good for the greatest number, you might say yes. If you're uh, somebody like Dostoevsky or his hero, you might say no. Well, wait a minute. This story has already taken place. There was a father who had a son and uh, that son was uh, crucified by the Jews who said it is better for one man to die than for all the people to perish. So this is an archetype that uh, changed human history. We don't have to go through that again. It already happened once. Uh, the effects have been manifest since that time. And it's unconscionable for these people to uh, propose this again. Uh, it, it amounts to uh, human sacrifice which is what is being uh, proposed here. Uh, these people, this is reckless. The, they are suppressing all of the evidence that the vaccines are have very serious side effects. And any vaccine is going to be simply a cost-benefit analysis. If, if what we have here is a clear situation where the cure is worse than the disease, 
The cure is worse than the disease. All you have to do is look at the statistics. If you want a good example, go to Kerala, the state of Kerala in India. India has pretty much solved the COVID problem because they prescribed ivermectin. It's on the official list of things to prescribe. The one place that did not do that was the state of Kerala. The Kerala has the highest vaccination rate in India, and it has the highest number of COVID cases, whatever that means. So again, that's similar to exactly what happened in Israel, happened in Gibraltar, it happened on a cruise ship where the people were 100% vaccinated. It's clear, the pattern is clear. The, the disease, the, the cure is worse than the disease. And even if that's not true yet, and it very well may be actually, certainly in places uh, that are way ahead of everybody else, you know, got the pe their people vaccinated first, like Israel, uh, it very likely will be true in the long run, according to arguments that strike me as quite credible from people like Vandenbosch and uh, Luc Montagnier, the Nobel laureate virologist. So uh, I, I agree, it looks like overall, the cure probably will turn out to be worse than the disease. But even if it wasn't, uh, forcing people uh, when we're in this position of uncertainty, giving these mandates and forcing people to take unwanted medical treatments uh, is, is absolutely wrong. And a lot of folks see this, uh, including a, a huge number in the African-American community here in Brooklyn. There's a really interesting video. Uh, there's a, a black guy trying to have dinner in a restaurant and they're enforcing vax segregation on him. And he's protesting. He's kind of the new uh, Rosa Parks, it looks like. Yeah, I think what's going to happen here is we have to go back to states' rights. It's already happened with uh, abortion. The Supreme Court refused to strike down the Texas abortion law, and it's pretty much it's a concession that there will never be a national consensus on abortion. Uh, 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 Ruth Bader Ginsburg went to her grave disappointed by this fact. It's not going to happen. So basically, if you want, if you don't like it here, go move to New York, honey, uh, or move to San Francisco. That's why those places are there for disaffected people from normal places in, in this country. So, so what, what, what you're, what you're going to, what I think the vaccine trajectory is going to follow that same trajectory. It's already been prepared. It's going to be returned to states' rights, which, as you and I know, was a dirty word because states' rights uh, back in the '60s was a euphemism for uh, racial segregation. That's that's going to change now. And of course, it's ironic that the one of the strongest uh, vax-resistant communities in America is the African American community, where probably it looks like more than uh, two thirds of African Americans are unvaccinated and don't trust the authorities. Um, with you know the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and back in their history, I can see why they wouldn't. Well, let's look at a couple of the studies that would support your assertion that the cure may be worse than the disease. Uh, and so still, I, I hope that Alan hasn't turned on the YouTube broadcast. Once again, we will uh, have our heads digitally chopped off if he has. Uh, I have to wait a couple more stories, Alan. I think it's after story number nine that we can turn on the YouTube. So here's a, a, a piece that cites recent studies in Israel, of course, the very huge Israeli studies are very well known, showing that the vaccine efficacy seems to wane fairly quickly and that uh, vaxxed people are transmitting COVID uh, as much as unvaxxed. And this Wisconsin study supports that, showing that 
vaccinated people who do indeed seem to be protected for a while against serious cases of COVID and, and deaths uh, are protected, but they're protected because they can carry around uh, very high levels of, of the virus and they're shedding uh, high levels of the virus. And what that means is that it looks like, according to this study anyway, uh, you're more likely to catch COVID from a, an asymptomatic vaxxed person than from an asymptomatic unvaxxed person. And you're about equally likely to catch COVID from uh, one or the other group when they are uh, symptomatic. So these studies ad are adding more evidence that these vaccine mandates are completely insane. Well, f first of all, there is a, a, a defense against uh, any disease, and it's called your immune system. God, God created you with a way of dealing with this thing, and it turns out that natural immunity is a very effective way of dealing with this uh, COVID thing. The vax uh, has one spike protein that uh, fights one particular aspect of it, but natural immunity fights all particular aspects and is uh, uh, in the position to come up with defeating new variants as well. So that that's the first line of, of defense here. And I think it's going to break down to uh, belief in God. Is God in charge of the universe? If you believe that, then you believe he created it with certain purposes in mind, uh, your body having a purpose, your immune system having a purpose, and you will have the courage to resist. If you don't, you probably won't. So it probably come down to that. This is God's way of getting rid of atheists, I think. Well, yeah, that's what I was discussing last night, actually, with Kat McGuire on my radio show. And so people might want to check that out. Cat uh, is leading the protest today in New York City. And we agreed that a spiritual awakening seems to be coming out of this as the people who are more hesitant about getting vaxxed are also the people who are aware about of the spiritual dimension in life, whether they're adherents of a traditional religion like you and I are, Mike, or whether they're like Kat, who she's kind of a freelance uh, religious person in her own way. Uh, the people who are, are spiritually engaged are the ones who are most uh, skeptical and the people who are the secular materialists who think that they are simply uh, basically biological machines are the ones who are lining up to get vaxxed. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting aspect of this. Um, well, the mainstream is also admitting that some of their earlier assertions are wrong. Hospitalizations were said by the Atlantic magazine a few months ago to be the key number in judging this pandemic, but now they just discovered that about half of so-called hospitalizations are mild or asymptomatic cases. People who didn't even know they had COVID, they went to the hospital for some other reason in many cases and tested positive. Uh, so as it turns out, half of the hospitalizations are people who probably don't even really need to be in the hospital, at least not for COVID. Well, the problem is what do they do to you when you get into the hospital? So I've, I've already mentioned uh, the difference in India between Kerala and the entire other subcontinent, okay? The other part, the main thing is uh, ivermectin, which has pr been proven effective. Uh, what happens here? The CDC has, has protocols encouraging the use of remdesivir, which uh, is uh, not really intended for this type of thing, but uh, the side effect of remdesivir is that it causes uh, fluid retention and the fluid then fills up your lungs and then you die, you drown, you die of uh, a drowning in your own fluids. The crucial, as I said, the crucial thing is what do they do to you when you get into the hospital? That's why it's probably not a good idea to go to the hospital right now. 
even if they let you in, it's probably not a good idea because it's controlled. These hospitals are easily controlled by the command central of the big pharma industry, and they're being run in their interest. I agree completely. So I'm uh, I'm telling uh, Alan, our producer, that we can we can start the YouTube broadcast on number ten. Uh, that's one more story ahead. This is a, so. This is our last story where we're going to be saying things, uh, questioning, you know, saying anything that could conceivably be seen by YouTube as uh, what they would consider medical misinformation. So when we talk about the mandates, uh, starting with the next story, we're not gonna be casting aspersions on vaccines, medical efficacy, or anything like that. We're simply going to be talking about the uh, justice or injustice of, of mandating things. But it, so here's our last taboo story. And that is the Israeli data I don't know why we can't talk about this, Mike. I mean, this is this is mainstream science reported in the mainstream media. Uh, Israeli data uh, is showing that the vaccine efficacy wanes pretty fast. Uh, quote from this story, when Shalit, this Israeli researcher, first heard about waning vaccine immunity, he was skeptical. He'd never heard of a shot that offered protection for mere months. But after looking at data, recording antibody levels in the vaccinated, he has come to believe it's true. Um, so yeah, this, this is the science. We're supposed to trust the science. We're supposed to talk about the science, but we're not allowed to talk about the science. Uh, I'm in a quandary. How about you? Uh, first of all, Israel's, uh, I think a classic example of the cunning of reason, the way God works in human history. So the Israelis deprive the Palestinians of the vaccine. And it turns out the Palestinians are doing fine. And the Israelis are all getting sick because of the, of the, of the shot. Now, this is a real conundrum as far as I'm concerned, because uh, I always thought Israelis had Jewish privilege, but apparently you don't when you're in Israel. <laughs> That's the irony of the situation, because when everybody has Jewish privilege, nobody has it. And so you can indict Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, but you couldn't do that. Think of doing that anyplace else in the world. So the big question here is uh, the head, head of Pfizer's uh, a Jew. Is he complicit? in creating something that is really a bioweapon and that's now going to be used against his own people. Now, the fact that this wears off quickly, it makes perfect sense to me if you're in the business of selling vaccines. Obviously, you want it to wear off it's like planned obsolescence. You want it to wear it off as quickly as possible so you can sell another shot. So that seems to me that's perfectly clear. The first thing I said is clear, but the consciousness there of uh, how Israel, Israel fits into this big program is still something mysterious. Well, Mike, I think you know Zionists and other uh, psychopaths who from Jewish backgrounds are probably overall not much uh, easier on quote unquote their own people than any other psychopaths. Catholic psychopaths target Catholics. Muslim psychopaths target Muslims. And there's a long history of people like Bernie Madoff targeting Jews, of right. the Zionists who founded Israel murdering anti-Zionist right. Jews and terrorist attacks. So, yeah, I think I think we it can could, assume that Jews are just like everybody else, only more so in that regard as well. Um, it could but, be an example of a, a massive example of the Levon affair, uh, but it's so big in scale, it just kind of staggers the imagination. Could be, yeah. Well, okay, let's let's get going on the YouTube broadcast. So now we're switching to topics where we're not going to be saying anything that could conceivably be seen as medical in misinformation or even medical information. We're avoiding the medical topics. We're going to talk about the social topics now, the issue of, uh, of mandates. Uh, so here we are with Fauci 
supporting a mandate for air travel. The industry isn't on board. And I, I could say uh, things about how the scientific studies that we just looked at would reflect on the rationality of this, but we won't say that because YouTube would chop our digital heads off. Uh, so instead, we'll suggest that maybe what the airlines are going to do is, is eventually they're going to have to knuckle under to Fauci. They're going to change their system. So instead of having you know basically two classes, first class for the rich, powerful, and privileged chosenites, and second class for ordinary schmucks like you and me, Mike, they're going to add a, 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 another class. Now they're going to have a third class for the people without the vaccine cards, and they're going to get packed up in cardboard boxes and thrown into the cargo hold. Flying is going to be even more unpleasant. Um, Somehow, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. How about you? No, there, there first of all, you're there, we're missing the big picture here. There is an oligarchic airline, and before long, it is going to be the biggest uh, airline in the world. It's called NetJets, it's owned by Warren Buffett, and this is where the oligarchs fly. So, they don't care about they don't go into normal passenger airlines, they don't go through the passenger terminals, they don't go through the TSA stuff, they have their own private airline. Everything's fine. Not, okay. Now, I know someone who works for this uh, airline, and uh, he was being pressured uh, to get the vaccination, and then suddenly the whole thing disappeared because they have a horrendous labor shortage. They are expanding enormously, buying 700 new jets. Uh, the oligarchs are fleeing to the oligarch airline, and now, uh, in addition to the labor shortage, they know about the side effects. And they don't want pilots dropping dead in mid-flight. Hey, so, Jay, wait a minute. That's that's medical information, Mike. What's medical information? You're suggesting that pilots are going to be dropping dead. There uh, is there is there is evidence of pilots getting sick after after getting vaccinated. I think the oligarchs know this. I think that they are pulling back, and we are creating uh, an even more atrocious two-tier society than the one you just described here. It, it's kind of looking that way. Well, the New York Times assures us that, well, for the, from their viewpoint, the good news is that vaccine mandates are an American tradition. The bad news is that so is the backlash. They describe how uh, more than 100 years ago during the smallpox era around the turn of the century, that would be around 1900, that's back when doctors used to run, yeah, they used to cut people's skin and then uh, rub smallpox virus into the cuts um, to induce a mild infection to guard against severe infection. Now, we can't talk about whether that was a good idea to cut people's skin and rub smallpox virus into it because that would be medical information and or misinformation, and we don't talk about such things here on YouTube. However, what we can say is that when they sent squads of thugs into people's homes in the middle of the night to kick down their doors and slice the people's skin and rub smallpox into it, which they did, <laughs> uh, that that was a violation of their rights, at least I think so. What do you think? Yes, it was. Uh, first of all, uh, there's always been a danger to vaccines. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century uh, revert to Puritanism, uh, died of a smallpox in vac uh, vaccination. So it's it's always been there. Uh, if if you mandate it on large numbers of people, there's going to be large numbers of of cases uh, of, of bad outcomes. If you think, take a step back here, you have uh, the country in the world with probably the largest gun population anywhere, and you put that together with uh, people breaking down your door and coming in to vaccinate you, uh, someone's going to get killed. 
I, I, that's inevitable. They must know that. And I think that's why it's not going to happen. Now, if you're talking, apparently Saskatchewan is going to do this. They just passed an emergency bill and the people are going to, the police can go break down your door. First of all, uh, as I said before, the police here are not going to do that. I don't think the police union in New York City will, will volunteer to do that. Secondly, if they do send people to break down your door, I'm not advocating this, okay? I'm not advocating this, but I'm saying there are plenty of people with guns, with guns who will shoot them. And then it's going to go to the to a, a court case. And, and there's precedent here. If someone breaks down your door and comes in to threaten you with harm, you have a right to shoot them. It's an open and shut case. They don't even get prosecuted. And, and this actually would reflect on, on some of the, like the Breonna Taylor killing where police uh, kicked in a door in such a way as to not even identify themselves. And, and when a cop gets shot in that situation, it's really probably pretty much his fault, right? I mean, if you're going to just kick in doors and, and uh, I, of course you're going to get shot at, well, the uh, Supreme Court supposedly actually okayed kicking in doors and uh, coming in the middle of the night into people's houses and slicing their skin with a razor and rubbing smallpox into it. So if the Supreme Court says that the authorities could do that, I don't have much hope uh, for what they're going to well, say now. Look, so yeah, I think I think our hope lies with the local police, not with the Supreme Court. But even, even the Supreme Court uh, goes back on what it did. I mean, Buck versus Bell uh, 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 approved uh, uh, un involuntary ster sterilization. Three, gym three generations of imbeciles is enough. That's a quote from Buck versus Bell. I think it applies to the government more than it applies to the average person. And I think it's been even more than three generations. Actually. It's been much more than three generations, but we have imbeciles in charge right now. That's certainly clear. And the, the look, it's either bend or break. And I think the Supreme Court is now in a position where they understand they got to bend. And they got to bend, and the states' rights is the way you bend on an unenforceable mandate. Abortion has become an unenforceable mandate. It's not going to work. So we'll bend and we'll to go to states' rights. Okay. Well, that New York Times article did also mention that the polio vaccines in the 1950s went off without a hitch. There were no mandates. There was no no compulsion, no force, no really terrorizing people. Uh, some, but somehow people trusted the authorities at that point. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have. There's a book called, uh, by Edward Haslam about uh, cancer viruses contaminating 1950s polio vaccines. And uh, I won't get into the details for fear of YouTube's reaction to discussing anything medical. So let's move on to the war on Afghanistan. So, oh, it was a terrible mistake. The uh, United States has officially admitted that they, they murdered 10 civilians, including seven children, didn't kill any ISIS-K terrorists. And uh, what did they say in their official statement? We're so sorry. We're just a bunch of cowards who are afraid to get anywhere near the people we kill, even though we have vastly bigger weapons than they have. So we end up killing lots of innocent children because we are freaking cowards. Please forgive us for being child murderers and cowards. What can you say? Well, what we one of the things we inherited from the British Empire was the idea of air war terrorizing civilian populations. And there's always been an element, an element of cowardice in the air war. Yeah. Uh, unless you have some type of fighter pilot on the other side who can shoot down your plane, uh, it is cowardly. And so we have the good war. Remember the good war that we grew up, after which we grew up? 
the World War II, the strategy, it's not just an aberration, the deliberate strategy was to destroy, attack civilian populations throughout that war. So uh, this is nothing new. This is just a continuation of the same policy by a different method. Now we have drones, which are supposed to be more accurate than simply dumping bombs out. Uh, but it turns out they're not accurate either. I mean, maybe you can read the license plate on that car with the drone, but uh, maybe it's not. Maybe they borrowed someone else borrowed the car. How are you going to get inside? So this is bad. This is war crime. This is a war crime. And uh, of, unfortunately, uh, only losers get prosecuted for war crimes. You know, the whole policy apparatus, you know, from the officers all the way up to the president of the United States, really all need, they should be tried and executed for this and so much more. But, you know, war is getting more and more uh, terroristic, meaning it targets civilians you know, more. Each, each war kills a higher percentage of civilians than the previous war. And the next war will pretty much kill all the civilians, meaning everybody. And looks like, you know, the rise of China is setting the stage for the World War III that could do that, uh, God forbid. Um, and we had a big step towards World War III this week when the AUKUS alliance uh, said that, yeah, we're going to hand Australia nuclear submarine technology so they can have nuclear weapons on their subs to threaten China. And China is going ballistic, as it were, about this, uh, saying they're going to punish Australia with no mercy. So uh, this is this is getting ugly. First of all, whose interests are the Australian politicians serving here? Is this in the interest of the Australian people to antagonize China, which happens to be in their neck of the woods? Uh, I don't see it. And the other thing is that it corresponds, this move corresponds to one of the most horrendous COVID lockdowns on the face of the earth. Australia has, uh, similar to Canada, has thrown all pretext of representative government and human rights to the winds. And now they can bust into your home or, or uh, apparently somebody died. Someone sent me a video of a guy. It was like a George Floyd case in Australia, except that the guy was not black. And uh, he died because he was resisting medicine as opposed to resisting the police. It could have been spun into the Australian George Floyd case, but it turns out that uh, there's no one there to resist. The resistance has been it, it pretty much effectively stamped out. On a personal note, just a personal note, uh, I was talking to people there about going there to help them fight gay marriage years ago. And no one would sign on. And the resistance to gay marriage never took place. And once you capitulate, for one, you're going to be set up for the next. And I'm saying that's 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 the situation in Australia. That's pretty sad down under. Uh, and it, I think there's obviously a link between the loss of civil liberties and moving towards a more militaristic posture. War is always the enemy of freedom. And today we're living in a world where... Uh, a situation probably created by a neocon Bolton and Pompeo biological attack, a false flag on China, designed to be blamed on China, and probably also designed to cripple China's economy. And boy, that sure didn't work. Didn't work out well. Uh, that's what's created this world of unfreedom that we inhabit today. And again, I, as I say over and over, read the Ron Un's ebook for the evidence that COVID came out of a neocon bio attack on China. Speaking of war on China, Mark Milley is in the news this week. He supposedly made secret calls to Z uh, during the, the, well, one right before the election 
in October, uh, October 30th, 2020, four days before the election. And then he made another call on January 8th, 2021, two days after the January 6th Capitol event. And uh, he said, oh, we got it under control. Don't worry. We're not going to let Trump uh, launch World War III against you guys. And the Chinese were supposedly, they were afraid that something was going to happen. The idea being that, you know, Trump's people wanted to keep him in office and might go to World War III to do it. I mean, I, I don't know about this story, but it, it sure, again, it reminds me of Dr. Strangelove with President Merkin Muffley calling Premier Dmitry Kissoff to reassure him that General Jack D. Ripper and General Buck Turgidson and Colonel Bat Guano and, of course, Dr. Strangelove were uh, under control. Don't worry, they're not going to do anything. Um, except this time it's the rogue officer who's making the call rather than the president. And that maybe should give us uh, some misgivings. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is classic psychological warfare in action. So first of all, uh, the objective fact of the case is that this man made a call to uh, uh, China. Is he authorized to do that? Uh, if he's not authorized to do that, and I don't see how he could be because he has to report to the president as the commander in chief, uh, this sounds like treason. Now, treason is a word that I apply. Treason is a category of the mind that I apply to a category of reality. In order to circumvent that, to prevent normal people from making that, jumping to that conclusion or coming to that conclusion, we have uh, Mr. Woodward, the man who gave us uh, Watergate, who just wrote a book praising General Miley as a great patriot. This is exactly the way psychological warfare works. You have the propaganda ministry, in this case, whatever it is, Washington Post or whatever, uh, putting labels on things that tell you what to think that are probably the opposite of the label that any normal person would come to. Well, interestingly, Woodward was part of a military plot to overthrow a president once before. His Watergate right. work was on behalf of elements of the military that were appalled by Nixon and Kissinger's freelancing. And they use Watergate to overthrow Nixon. So, you know, he's an, he was an Office of Naval, Naval Intelligence guy uh, and a, a spook from way back. Woodward is not a crusading journalist. He's a spook. And once again, he seems to be lining up with uh, military guys against the president. Of course, there may be some who would argue that the military guys may be more sensible on some issues than the president. Certainly Trump's authorizing the murder of Soleimani and near brush with World War III through that is uh, quite disturbing. And the fact that the Trump administration apparently attacked China by launching the uh, so-called Wuhan coronavirus as a false flag to be blamed on China. And in, they hope to cripple China's economy. That's where COVID comes from. That, and that was the Trump administration that did it. Trump himself may probably didn't know about it. Uh, all of this suggests to me that it's more complicated than just the good guys, bad guys narrative, that the you know military is the bad guy, Trump's the good guy, or vice versa. Um, and fr frankly, I think that some of the military guys may be more sensible than some of the politicians these days, and that would go for the Biden administration as well. Uh, but in any case, the real story here is that the U.S. just lost Afghanistan and is losing the uh, low-grade fourth generation preemptive war to try to stop the rise of China. And the next story is a great piece by Professor Alfred McCoy of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the man who exposed uh, so much about CIA drug running in his book, The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia. He's one of our best geopolitical analysts. And he points out that, yeah, the loss in Afghanistan was a huge blow to the empire. And a lot of people in, in my sort of conspiracy world 
have a hard time believing this. Like if the mainstream media says we lost catastrophically in Afghanistan, my friends say, well, the truth is always the exact opposite of whatever the media says. So therefore we must still really be sneakily somehow in Afghanistan or whatever. No, we lost, uh, you know, just because the media says it doesn't always mean that it's, it's false. Just most of the time. <laughs> What's your take on this, Mike? Well, this has been happening for a, for a long time. I mean, ever since, uh, we were in Tehran together. I, I was, I was seeing that the Trump uh, policy. Now that was we were there before Trump came into office. But I mean, the Trump policy was having the exact opposite effect of what it should have had. So according to classic geo Anglo-American geopolitical principles, uh, the Mackinder thesis, you have to divide the Eurasian landmass. Well. His stupid policies in support of Israel were uniting the Eurasian landmass, yes. and they, they succeeded. So yeah. now you have an alliance between China, Russia, and Iran. I asked one of my Iranian friends, are you learning Chinese? And she said, uh, gave me a kind of violent response, which proved that they have really no natural affinity with China. And this is a, a marriage of convenience, but it's happening. It's he happening for, because of... It's yeah. forced on them by the United States and their stupid sanctions and their stupid Israel first foreign policy. So congratulations, guys. You brought about the exact opposite of what you intended. Yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, discussing with Ron Unz over lunch a few days ago in, in the Bay Area. The complete idiocy of these strategic planners, you know, back in the 60s, at least the American strategic planners understood they had to sort of split, engineer a split between Russia and China, and, you know, stop the communist world. Uh, they don't seem to understand that now. And and Ron said he thinks it's just sheer arrogance. You know, these people think that they rule the world unimpeded. Uh, they're, they're living in their own delusional reality. And, and I think the Chinese are going to pop their bubble pretty soon. And, and the Russians, as you said, are part of this new uh, Eurasian alliance. In the next slide, we see the Russians are, like the Chinese, tiptoeing around accusing the U.S. of unleashing COVID against them. There is a whole history of U.S. biological warfare against a long list of countries, including China and Russia. And now the Russians are starting to complain about this massive expansion of U.S. biological warfare facilities all around their borders and China's borders. Um, and uh, in, in Georgia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, um, all, and and uh, this this uh, complaint from the Russians came at a forum uh, about the history of Japan's World War II biological warfare that was just off the charts hideous. They murdered thousands of human beings in biological war experiments in the most hideous ways I couldn't even want to describe here. Um, and now, you know, the U.S. picked up all those Japanese scientists who had, who had mass murdered uh, experimental subjects as well as Chinese and, and Koreans and used them in U.S. biological war against Korea during the Korean War, against Cuba, and uh, against Russia, against China, against Eastern Europe. The United States waged so much biological warfare uh, throughout the history of the Cold War and perhaps beyond. Um, I highly recommend uh, uh, Nicholson Baker's book, Baseless, for uh, some of that information. So 15 U.S. biolabs in the Ukraine alone, the Lugar lab in Tbilisi, is probably the worst offender of all of these. And Veterans Today, where I uh, work, has exposed some of the nefarious stuff going on there. Uh, I think we need to demand that our government shut down all of its biological warfare programs. Well, the history of warfare has been an attempt to civilize warfare. 
uh, you know, that's a problematic thing. But uh, what we have is uh, basically you have a government that declares war and then its army uh, prosecutes the war. You can tell it's its army because they all wear uniforms and they all act under some type of central command. Well, this is impossible with biological warfare. How do you know it's been launched? How do we know? We still don't know. We still don't know. There are still people in the CDC and else, elsewhere who are saying, no, there's no connection whatsoever between the money that Fauci put into the Wuhan lab and the, COVID, the spread of COVID. Well, that's, that's kind of hard to believe at this late date, but that's precisely the problem you get into when you get into this type of warfare. How do you know what's going on? How do you regulate it? How do you declare a truce? How do you declare a ceasefire? How do you negotiate the end of the war? This is all terra incognita now. And the uh, U.S. biowar program against Korea was part of one of the worst genocides in all of history when the United States military murdered a third plus of the population of North Korea and destroyed every, completely destroyed every city, every town, even down to every village, so that the survivors were basically living in caves uh, during the Korean War. And so now Korea, uh, North Korea, is run in a slightly uh, paranoid, psychotic manner. But who can blame them? That's the history that all of this comes out of. And so the North Koreans, they want to make sure that they never get genocided again. So they're now putting nuclear ballistic missiles on trains. And the missiles will be required to show COVID vaccination cards before they board. Um, no, but seriously, uh, the U.S. Uh, policy towards Korea uh, has blown up in our face. You know, this this massacre of Koreans during the Korean War has led to a situation where we have these, these you know, really paranoid, but perhaps not entirely unrealistic uh, North Korean leaders doing stuff like this. Yeah. What's the message of the air war in Korea? You can level every single city, but you can't stop the people from continuing the war from underground. When are they going to learn that this, this, is a, this, is, this is going to fail here? This is precisely the problem. You have a fa you have failed campaigns. It didn't really solve the problem of North Korea. It, it, we couldn't conquer that country because China and Russia were on the other side, ready to flood troops into the South. So uh, you, you just it caused a stalemate. And how many people had to die for that stalemate that never should have taken place in the first place? It's not going to work. It doesn't work over the long. Vietnam is another example. We'll just solve it by dropping bombs from the air. That didn't work either. It doesn't work ultimately. Afghanistan didn't work there. It doesn't work. So if mass murdering people uh, doesn't solve problems, maybe taking care of people will. And, and in the other part of Korea, South Korea, Man. the South Korea's Bernie Sanders, a guy named Moon Jae-in, uh, is offering universal basic income, cash to everybody over 24. Uh, he's also pushing a draconian COVID response. So what do you think about this guy, uh, Korea's Bernie Sanders? Universal basic income is known <clears throat> as welfare. <clears throat> it is a bad idea, okay? The good idea is that labor is the source of all value and that you should reward labor according to productivity. If that were the case, the minimum wage of productivity, computers, and so on and so forth, the minimum wage would be $26. Right now, you have a labor shortage. All you have to do is look at every, any fast food restaurant uh, in this area. They're all dying to get people to work because that's entry-level labor. 
and the people were there, moved up because there were vacancies up because of COVID and so on and so forth. So now if you have a universal basic income, you're going to have a labor shortage. And, you, and labor is the source of all value, so you won't have a productive economy. So this is not a good idea. So if you pay workers according to their productivity uh, as, as your way of uh, rewarding the real economy, I guess that would be a huge shift if we changed to that, because right now we're rewarding uh, psychopathic predators uh, for their casino-style investments. Anyway, moving on to more uh, robbery, highway robbery, literal highway robbery, 70 U.S. vehicles, uh, tankers full of stolen Syrian oil are leaving Syria for U.S.-occupied parts of Iraq at the Al-Walid border crossing. I thought it was Trump who wanted to steal the oil. No, it's uh, Biden, too, apparently. And uh, contrast this U.S. policy of illegally invading and occupying Syria, uh, the supreme war crime of aggression, with the Iranian policy. In the next slide, we see a, another convoy of tankers. These are tankers carrying Iranian fuel to help uh, Lebanon, which is right now suffering a humanitarian crisis because the U.S. and its evil witch, Ambassador Dorothy Shea, are killing Lebanon's economy with horrific sanctions and other measures designed to make the Lebanese people in their economy scream. And Iran is coming to their rescue with their tankers. Uh, it kind of shows you who the good guys and the bad guys in this region really are. Yes, uh, that's that explosion in, in uh, the capital of Lebanon uh, has, never been, has never been explained. Uh, there, there is war on Lebanon because uh, Lebanon uh, uh, is the home of Hezbollah, and Hezbollah po poses a significant existential threat to the state of Israel. That time, that standoff that you mentioned after the death of Soleimani, when it looked as if the world were on the brink of war, uh, uh, was resolved uh, pretty much, I think, by Hezbollah. When Hassan Nasrallah told Benjamin Netanyahu, "We will, we're not going to attack America. We will attack you because you're the source of the problem. We have 250,000 rockets, and Bibi uh, Netanyahu backed down immediately, and that never happened. So that's why Lebanon is such a crucial uh, country at this point." And that's why the Israelis can't stop Iran from uh, supplying Lebanon with fuel right now, because Hezbollah has said that this is a vital national interest. And if Israel interferes, the rockets are going to rain down on them. So we're in a new world now, folks. Uh, it's no longer 100% Zionist impunity. And speaking of Zionist impunity, how about this death of a key witness against Benjamin Netanyahu? Chaim Jaron, this communications ministry official, and his wife just went down in a small plane crash off of Greece. Um, now, the coincidence theorists are having a field day. Uh, asked for his reaction, Bibi Netanyahu said, it's very good. Well, I guess it isn't good, but it's good for my chances of staying out of jail. <laughs> Just kidding, actually. Uh, that's a parody of his reaction after 9-11 when Bibi Netanyahu, on the day of 9-11-2001, said, it's very good. Oh, well, it's, I guess, not good, but it sure is good for Israel. Well, this is sure, sure is good for Netanyahu that the witness against him just went down in a plane crash. What a coincidence. Has Bibi been talking to the Clintons? <laughs> yeah, 
Ah, yeah, I'm sure there's a Netanyahu death count too. Um, but since we have a bunch of stories left and not too much time, we better move to the next one, which is my good friend Henry Herskovitz protesting against the Zionist madness. Uh, Henry is uh, from a Jewish background and he's appalled by the genocide of Palestine. So he's protesting outside the local synagogue in Ann Arbor. And the Federal Court of Appeals just ruled that Henry and his friends have the right to stand out there on the public sidewalk with signs reading things like Jewish power corrupts uh, and uh, other pro-Palestinian slogans. So right on, Henry Herskovitz. I'm going to have Henry on my radio show next week to celebrate this court victory. This, this is important because the Supreme Court has just ratified, again, the First Amendment. It is not a crime to say the word Jew in the United States of America. Now, it is a crime in places like Germany and England. And so we should be encouraged by this, and we should be uh, courageous in uh, exercising our rights here. It's that simple. Yeah, Henry's a very brave guy to do this, and and you know he's he's off in a motorcycle rally right now. Henry's quite a character. I got to stay at his house once when I was doing some talks in in the Detroit Ann Arbor area, and I'm just really pleased to to see him uh, winning a victory for the First Amendment. So the First Amendment isn't entirely dead yet, and let's let's try to keep it that way. And speaking of freedom of speech, how about Facebook? Uh, we've got social media apartheid now in this country. Facebook has a special group of people called, they're on the X-check list. It's a white list. They can do anything they want. And everybody else like us is uh, held to these draconian sanctions where if you say anything that's politically incorrect or it's, you know, it's against what the commissars say uh, this this week or this month or this year, like, you know, like last year, if you said that, hey, it looks like COVID is a bioweapon on Facebook, boom, you're gone. Your account is nuked. You're digitally lynched. And then after Nicholson Baker's book, Baseless, came out, and it, rather his article in The New Yorker about, about the uh, fact that COVID certainly is a bioweapon, that convinced enough people that suddenly they changed their policy. So, so Facebook is not providing a constitutional forum for free speech, a digital public square. They're running an apartheid operation rife with censorship, and they need to be nationalized. And, and Facebook and all other social media need to be run as public utilities under the First Amendment. Well, uh, Jen Psaki, the uh, press secretary, said we're working closely with Facebook. We, the White House. That means Facebook is the government. And if Facebook's the government, then they have to be held to the First Amendment, which we just discussed, which means you cannot ban anyone unless he's, uh, it's someone calling fire in a crowded theater or all the other things that uh, are reason to be banned. In other words, Facebook has to be held to the First Amendment because they are de facto the government in, in this regard. So Facebook has digital apartheid and uh, the real world has apartheid too. If you're an ordinary schmuck, you better mask up everywhere you go. But if you're part of the new elite, the, the fancy pants elite, you can go to these masked balls. No, they, they used to be masked balls. Now the elite meets at maskless balls. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's event in Napa charged, well, they had cheap seats for 100 bucks each, but the good seats cost about 30 grand. And, you know, would you pay 30 grand to listen to Nancy Pelosi speak for an hour? I'd pay 30 grand to not have to listen to Nancy Pelosi speak for an hour. And then how about Obama's 60th birthday, where only the servants wore masks? Vogue magazine's $25,000 per ticket event. And here's uh, AOC in that fancy zillion dollar dress that says tax the rich on it. Oh, man, you can't make this stuff up. And Glenn Greenwald, I think, is uh, suitably outraged and acerbic in this piece about it. Yeah, tax the rich. Good. Good idea. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, AOC. When, yeah. When's, when's that going to happen? And uh, uh, was your was your ticket? How much did you pay for that ticket? By the way, how much did how much did your ticket cost? Uh, was it tax deductible? Uh, so on and so forth. And how about the that part, dress? The dress. Yeah. That she how much does the dress cost? The dress tax the wrist dress cost. It's just pure pure uh, celebrity hypocrisy here. Yeah, I mean, even calling that hypocrisy is an insult to hypocrites. Well, uh, you mentioned earlier, Mike, that the minimum wage should be 26 bucks an hour right now. And here are the statistics to back that up. A CBS report showing that if it had grown in line with productivity since it was first instituted, it would be $26 an hour right now, which would give people about $52,000 a year. And the reason that that seems impossible right now, as the economist quoted in this article says, is, well, the problem is that we have made many changes to the economy that shifted huge amounts of income upward so that we cannot support a pay structure that gives workers at the bottom 52000 a year, which is a translation for, well, we just had the, the rich, uh, you know, rob, uh, rob everybody else, and we just have to live with it. Well, I don't think we just have to live with it. How about you? No, no. capitalism is the systematic appropriation of all surplus labor. Now, who said that? Was that Karl Marx? No, it was Heinrich Pesch, a Jesuit, who said this in the 1920s in his magnum opus, the Lehrbuch der Nationalökonomie. This is labor is the source of all value. Who said that? Well, actually, Karl Marx did say that, but so did Adam Smith, uh, John Locke, and Pope John Paul II. This is we have to get back to labor as the basis of this economy and break away from usury which is the de facto basis of this economy because usury always leads to the concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands. And that's exactly what we have right now. We sure do. And it, some we've seen a big change over our lifetimes, Mike. It used to be the Democrats were considered the pro-union, pro-working class guys. And it doesn't look like it's quite that way anymore. Uh, things have gotten much messier with Trump and the populist Republicans. Uh, and this red versus blue, perhaps engineered divide and conquer split is getting out of control. And even as we speak right now, the justice for J6 rally in support of the January 6th alleged rioters is happening. Uh, here's the Fox News report on it. And then the New York Times put out a so-called debunking of their arguments that the January 6th protesters are being mistreated. Um, frankly, I was not that impressed by the New York Times debunking. The New York Times claims that since half of these 600 people being charged are only charged with trespassing or disorderly, uh, that carries a six month in federal prison or less <laughs> penalty. Oh, that's all. Yeah, only six months in federal prison. What's the problem? Oh, that's okay. And, and then with the way they debunk the fact that these people are being uh, brutally mistreated in prison, there's one guy who was savagely uh, beat up and horribly injured. Uh, the way they debunk that is the New York Times says, well, jail is a terrible place to be. <laughs> and yeah. when the J6 uh, pr political prisoners claim that they're being held uh, in solitary, which is considered torture under the Geneva Conventions and international law, the New York Times says that, well, that's because of COVID. So frankly, when you compare the arguments from those supporting these prisoners to the New York Times debunkings, you notice that the New York Times so-called debunking is 100% polemical, 100% propaganda, no effort whatsoever to fairly consider both sides of the argument. And that's what the New York Times has become just in the past few years. Well, I'm not sure it just happened in the past few years. I think that they it's were worse. always, it's gotten worse. There's no question about it. Uh, but uh, they were fully on board with the propaganda narrative during World War II. Uh, it's always been that way. It's just gotten worse because we have 
a an ideology now that is really stupid. I mean, you could talk about Harry Luce's American proposition, time life was the propaganda ministry uh, for the CIA, but the American proposition did have some type of broad base. You turn, you replace that with critical race theory and you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble because now the law is going to be enforced according to your uh, ideological purity. So if you're Antifa or Black Lives Matter, you can burn the town down and everybody will think you're just like, hey, you're, he's Martin Luther King, come back to, from the dead. If you're a Trump supporter, they throw the book at you. That's well, New, York, the, New York Times says that there's a good reason for that. The rioters in Washington were involved in a singular and chilling event that threatened not only the Capitol, but also democracy itself. So right. that's why the New York Times exists to impose those categories of the mind on a reality that says the exact opposite. They were people who thought they had the right to assemble and thought they had the right to speech, free speech because it's guaranteed in the Constitution. And it turns out you don't have that right if you don't have the right political ideology. Okay. Well, we'll see how that protest in D.C. goes today and maybe report on that next week right here at False Flag Weekly News. But meanwhile, more uh, red versus blue news. Biden uh, is suffering a huge tanking of his approval rating. It's now way underwater. This happened after his uh, his angry speech, uh, scapegoating unvaxxed people and uh, imposing vaccine mandates. Do you think there is a relationship? Obviously. You're going to demonize at least 50% of the country and expect that that's not going to have some type of effect? This is the whole uh, great achievement of the psychological warfare establishment during the course of the 20th century was to get people who are immigrants from places like Germany to identify with uh, be as Americans. Now you've got the exact opposite with identity politics and critical race theory demonizing the majority of Americans. You think that's not going to have bad consequences? Well, think it over again. So now the Democrats are rivaling or perhaps exceeding the Republicans as being the party of the privileged establishment and the elite. And they're even swooning over George W. Bush, uh, who, of course, won the affection of all Democrats everywhere, as well as the rest of the elite establishment, by comparing these populist uh, protesters to Al-Qaeda. Um, and, and frankly, uh, I'm not sure that's wrong because, you know, the original Al-Qaeda was, uh, you know, very much harping on some legitimate issues before Al-Qaeda got taken over by the CIA, which of course had created it. So they didn't have too much of a problem taking it over. Uh, in any case, uh, Bush is very popular with Democrats now, and I suppose he might run for president again on the Democratic ticket. Well, I mean, the high point of that meaningless uh, a meaninglessness in elections was George Bush running against uh, John Curry. Uh, it turns out both of them were members of the Skull and Bones at at uh, at Yale, uh, but that didn't mean anything. Oh, wait a minute, yes, it does. They're both part of the same oligarchic elite insider club, and so there's no choice in the matter. So why is it surprising that he comes out and uh, 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 saying this type of stuff? Okay, well, the rebuttal to claims that Biden's popularity tanked due to vaccine mandates is the ostensible results of the California recall election in which Gavin Newsom uh, beat back the recall by a huge margin. And there are all kinds of claims from the Republican side that there was election fraud, although I question whether they could have really stolen this election by such a huge margin. Usually 
stolen elections have smaller margins. And then the, the next slide is just another story about the same thing from the New York Times. Uh, do you think that this was a legitimate election or what, what just happened in California, Mike? I don't know. Did you see CNN uh, coverage of this? They're, they're on camera. Suddenly, just while we're watching there, the whole thing jumped from 60% to 70% in favor. Oh, that was just a glitch. That was just a glitch. My contacts in California are telling me that the stories of a man uh, in a car, uh, drug, a drug addict, homeless guy, he's got a car, and there are all these absentee ballots in his car. Absentee ballots, or let's say, no, I'm, I'm not even mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots are a license to steal an election. So it's just a reform that's going to have to take place. We can't tolerate this anymore. So wait a minute, Hol the homeless druggies are now taking over our election process? That's right. They they were. It's a labor shortage. They have to. The 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 high level druggies were already working at McDonald's, so they had to go down to this type of guy to help them steal the election. I yeah. that's. I'm making I'm making that up, okay? But I'm just <laughs> speculating on I don't know about the background of this guy. I just I'm just reporting what I was told. Okay. Well, more uh crazy California news. Um we at Falls Flag Weekly News are shocked, shocked that the oppressed tranny flasher uh who was brought out all these these antifa and left-wing protesters for quote unquote her rights to flash her penis uh, in, in public uh, turned out to be a serial sex offender and uh, an exposure guy. So according to this article, which is confirmed in other mainstream sources, it, this article begins, Mike, a transgender serial sex offender accused of exposing her penis to a group of women at a Los Angeles spa has been criminally charged. Okay, so wait a minute. If I were the pervert's lawyer, I would argue for a dismissal on the grounds of absurdity. Any indictment that charges a woman with exposing her penis right. can only have been written by a seriously messed up DA. Right, right. <laughs> yes. So uh, this is the uh, uh, reductio ad absurdum of sexual liberation. And we're supposed to pretend that this is real when it's not real. If, if you're going to impose a category of the mind on a category of reality, you have to have some type of coherence to it. And there's no coherence here whatsoever. And so it flops the minute it comes out of their mouths. So not going to have a long shelf life here. So bovine excrement everywhere, especially in the mainstream. And uh, now uh, literally we're having a, a big breakthrough in bovine excrement. They're potty training cows, um, but I don't think it's going to work. Take it from this born and bred Wisconsin boy. If a cow is in the mood to drop a cow patty, the chances that you're going to convince that cow to wait till you can pull off at a gas station are extremely remote. But, you know, hey, if they think the researchers think that they can potty train cows, I mean, who am I to cast dispersions? After all, we have to trust the science. I think what they're saying here is that they can get the government to fund their uh, ridiculous exercise in uh, fighting against nature. Uh, I think that's, and I think that there probably are people who would uh, try to fund this. By the way, have you heard from Greta Thunberg lately? I haven't heard from her. Uh, no, uh, but maybe uh, she'll probably, she's back. You know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. But, you know, I, I think the real important question here, Mike, is can we train the mainstream media to stop emitting those huge stinking gobs of bo bovine excrement? Uh, well, 
False Flag Weekly News is working on it, but uh, we haven't succeeded yet. Maybe next week. So we will be back next week uh, slicing through the bovine excrement of the mainstream media. Um, until then, thank you so much, E. Michael Jones. Always fun doing the show with you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks to our viewers and supporters. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com. God willing, see you all next week.